In the case of the Texas Rangers, Houston Astros, you are the daddy. The Battle of the Aces leaves Max Scherzer looking like a joker, and I'm pretty sure Dusty Baker just showed us all where we can shove our lineup cards. It's episode 39 of Stone Cold Strohs, and it starts right now. Welcome into Stone Cultures. I'm Brandon Strange, Charlie Palillo in the middle. Uh, he's actually behind enemy lines right now in Arlington. Josh Jordan on the end. Charlie, it's episode 39. You got any players that wore number 39 you want to feature this week? Well, sometimes life offers delightful little coincidences. 39 equaling the Astros three-game run total in the baseball massacre that occurred up here over the three days. Uh, on the field in Astros history, not chock full of glory, but Bob Nepper had a near decade long run as a left-handed starting pitcher in the 80s. Probably the best game he ever pitched. Game six, 1986 National League Championship Series against the Mets. Eight shutout innings. The Astros leading three nothing. Get it to game seven with Mike Scott on the mound. Yada, yada, yada. Nepper tired. The bullpen didn't hold it. Astros lost that classic game in 16 innings, and, and that was that. But Bob Nepper, probably the Astros' most notable number 39. So, guys, let's get right into it. Astros start the week getting swept at home by the Yanks, scoring seven total runs over three games. They go into Arlington, and as you alluded to, hang 39 runs on the Texas Rangers. Which team is this? Are they the team that gets swept at home by a last-place team? Or are they the team that goes into Arlington, dominates them in three laughers, and takes control of the division? Who are they? Well, look, I mean, they're not as great as they were against the Rangers. They kicked a team that was down and kicked it into oblivion. Uh, the Rangers in the midst of an epic collapse. I guess the rubber hits the road. Do the Astros knock off this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde act? 35 and 34 at home. I don't know if they consider checking into a hotel when they get back into Houston ahead of the Padres series at Minute Maid Park, opening up over the weekend, and then the Oakland A's come to Minute Maid Park. And then, I mean, the American League West race, they pretty much kick dirt uh, over the Rangers. Right, They're three games ahead of them and the tiebreaker, but the Astros head home tied in the loss column with Seattle. And the schedule clearly favors the Astros the rest of the way now, but they do play those three games in Seattle. The Mariners already hold the tiebreaker. So uh, no one should be printing up division championship uh, memorabilia just yet, but it's now the Astros race to lose. And it's a two horse race now over these final two and a half weeks. Astros, Mariners, Rangers still in the wild card picture. They play four in Toronto next week where if they don't rise from their coma, both offensively and the disaster that is their pitching staff, that could be curtains for the Rangers entirely. Yeah, uh, to me, they're both teams. You know, they, they go sweep the Red Sox, and then they get swept by the Yankees. And then they go sweep the Rangers. As soon as they, they gain a few, they give you a few back. That's who they've been all season. We just have to hope that maybe they've turned the page a little bit here now that we're in September. I'm encouraged seeing Jeremy Pena hitting second again, and look at him getting on base like crazy. The lineup has gotten a lot longer. I'm not expecting this from Jose Abreu all the time, obviously, seven RBIs, but at least you're seeing some improvements there. And the, the other big thing is just you needed your aces to come out and give you something in this series. And Justin Verlander and Fromber both came out. 
pitched great games. They got your bullpen some rest. They they took care of business. Sometimes it's tough to pitch with a giant lead like that. Both guys handled it like pros, and that's why we're sitting here with a sweep. It's weird that I'm not as afraid of the Astros going into Seattle and having a series because of just how good they've been on the road. I, I, do, I just don't understand why there is this focus and production that happens on the road versus at home. Yeah, I think sometimes there is no logical explanation for it. Remember back in 2017 when there were some nefarious activities going on. The Astros were much better on the road that year. Uh, Altuve had one season where he hit about 400 on the road and much lower at home. Uh, I think it's fundamentally uh, fundamentally inexplicable. You don't want to give up home field advantage. You wouldn't rather be on the road, even though the record says, well, maybe so. I mean, 45 and 27 on the road as they leave Arlington versus just 35 and 34 at home. But most fundamentally, last licks, right? You want to know where it's at in the bottom of the ninth inning or if you're into an extra inning game. And remember, in the playoffs, at least it's not the silly beer league softball rules, right? The Astros won an eight in extra innings. Um, so you want to win a division. You want to be the number two seed. You want to have that first round by, avoid that best out of three. And then you have home field advantage, even if you're thinking, is that such a good thing? Yes, you'd always rather have home field than not. Gents, I'll be the first to admit that I thought there was a snowball's chance that Michael Brantley would be making any sort of significant return to this team. He has returned. He has shown that he is still a productive player when he is healthy. He's given this offense a new lease on life. He's given them new depth. The Astros finish out this series against the Rangers. They really didn't need Yiner Diaz or Chaz McCormick, who are two of their better hitters. They didn't even need them on the field for the majority of the game. Chaz McCormick comes in, you know, we're in garbage time. Charlie, what does this mean now? What are the implications, not just a healthy Michael Brantley, but a guy like Jeremy Pena, who is now a competent hitter again, hitting in that two hole? What does this do for the length of this team? Yeah, you get a little bit of visions of 2017 and 2019. Look, I think any of us might have actually he's made some contact against Rangers pitchings, uh, pitching in, in the series. But, uh, you know, Maldonado with a two-home run game. Uh, I thought it might snow in, in Arlington the morning after that. Uh, but Brantley already with a couple home runs and extra base power. You know, Pena's been hitting over 300 now for the last month. Bregman, after four months of largely mediocrity, has been sensational the last month and a half. Tucker had been spectacular. He's leveled off a little bit. So they're kind of in a mode now, if the left doesn't get you, the right will. Uh, Jordan Alvarez hasn't been piping hot. What if he gets on a jack? Uh, Altuve, of course, just, just off the charts. Uh, so uh, lengthening of the lineup. They'll obviously face better pitching than what the Rangers have to offer if you get into the postseason. But they can provide a torture chamber. It's starting pitchers, good starting pitchers. It takes them 90 pitches to get through five innings, and you can get into a bullpen. Again, most teams have a bullpen better than the Rangers because, well, Needville's bullpen uh, probably would have been as effective against the Astros as the Rangers' bullpen was. You know, I think the, the defining element for the Astros at this point is the starting pitching. Has Fromber returned a corner with a couple of good starts in a row? Uh, Verlander, I'd still be mindful of not overdoing it with him on four days rest down the stretch and then once you get into the postseason who is your number three starter right it's going to be fromber verlander or verlander fromber they'll decide that 
Right, J.P. France is flattened out a little bit. Christian Javier, Hunter Brown, Ryder Keedy's out of the mix, I think, to start. Um, so not to count the chickens, but it's certainly now overwhelmingly likely that the Astros are in the playoffs, and you really want to avoid that best of three because then you can line up your pitching for a best of five as opposed to having start a best of five with no better than your number three starter. Yeah, to Charlie's point about the Rangers pitching, I don't know if you're going to see that type of pitching in the playoffs. And also to Charlie's point, outside of Verlander and, and Fromber, what are you going to get? You're you're going to need a lot of runs, I think, to to run this thing back. And it's clear, like Dusty's just not trusting Chaz McCormick in center field anymore. So, and the way well, we saw that scare with Jordan the other day, I think Jordan's going to play a lot of DH. Dubon seems to be the guy in center field. So that's the one thing I want. I think they're going to need more offense as we go along here. So the idea of Chaz being in center and maybe Brantley in left with Jordan DHing, that's appealing to me. And I don't think we're going to see it. So I don't think you can count on Abreu and Maldi, you know, driving your offense. To me, this was just an aberration over this series. As you go forward and you face better pitching, I don't think it's going to work out like this. So as good as it is, it could be something where Dusty maybe gets a little happy with himself and how he put this lineup card together. And hopefully it doesn't come back to bite him when you need some more offense later in the season here. Brantley's shoulder holds up. He's going in the lineup and certainly in the postseason every time they're facing a right-handed pitcher. Uh, McCormick absolutely should be in there against every left-handed pitcher that they face. Anytime he's not, it's ridiculous. Uh, Yiner Diaz is still being underplayed, but we all know Maldonado is going to catch probably every playoff game. Certainly the Fromber and Verlander starts, and well, their game's one, two, six, and seven in a best of seven series. Um, so, but at least they have now, or this is the healthiest this team can possibly be. Like Garcia, McCullers, right? There's never any possibility of getting them back. But with Brantley back, they now have their full cast of characters best equipped to go into battle and maybe be able to outmash any other lineup they come up with if the pitching isn't as airtight as it's been in some of their other postseason runs. Well, Dusty is in a tricky spot because you are trying to protect Jordan Alvarez and knocking on wood here, the Astros must have a rabbit's foot in their back pocket considering the scare with Jordan and the, the scare with Stanek. I mean, obviously Stanek's on the IL right now, but nothing being broken, that the odds looked very slim of that. And Altuve has been another one of those where this has been an unfortunate season for him health-wise. But, I mean, we look at him now and he's just raking I wonder if maybe the time off has been good for him from a standpoint of maybe he has more bullets in the chamber. Maybe he has a little bit more gas in the tank down the stretch here. You know, let's, let's talk about Altuve just real quick because uh, he hits for the cycle a few nights ago and then puts up a three homer night against the Rangers. I just don't know how he can't be number one now as far as greatest Astro ever. Well, when you... And in the October legacy that he has and they still build upon, uh, I think if you put it to a fan vote, you know, even generationally, he's the clear winner. I mean, Jeff Bagwell has the overall best body of work as a baseball player of anyone in an Astros uniform. Uh, Altuve's 33 years old. Bagwell basically was washed up at 35. Craig Biggio continued to add those counting numbers, but in his late 30s and then at 40, 41, it's not like he was a good player anymore. So we'll see on Altuve. Right at 33 years old, and Brandon, I do think there's something to be said for the legs being fresher, and he's he's had some injuries. Right, the the hand that was a freak injury. The oblique was really scary, but 
His legs are fully under him. I mean, I'd still probably DH him once per week in addition to the off Thursdays they have the rest of the year. Right, Alex Bregman, also a history of some leg issues. I mean, he leads the league in games played. Uh, so if you can salt away a playoff spot, get a little bit of rest for those guys. But uh, you know what? If they're the number two seed, regular season ends on Sunday. They're not going to play until Friday. So you'll get some built-in rest there. Uh, but on Altuve, you know, he's now with a body of work. You take his four best years, and this one's going to be barely a half season, so you don't get full credit for what you might have done had you been healthy all year. Uh, but he's knocking on the door of 10 greatest second basemen in the history of Major League Baseball, at least when you combine his peak years together and what he's doing now at 33. Last year, the last two months, he was tremendous. That got him back up to 300. Now he's comfortably over 300. He's slugging closer to 600 than 500 after the home run explosion in Arlington. He's just a remarkable player. And yes, I think when he hangs it up, he'll generally be regarded as the greatest Astro of all time. But don't undersell Jeff Bagwell. And hey, October matters. And Bagwell, like Biggio, for the most part, they stunk in the postseason, whereas Altove is a, a, a highlight hero. Um, but you look at Bagwell, right? He's arguably a top five or six first baseman of all time, right? He probably outrates Altuve at his position for now. Uh, Altuve, when the decline years kick in, you know, does it pull his career batting average below 300? He's at 307 now, right? The chase to 3,000. Is he hanging on until he's 39, 40 years old? But the very best of Jose Altuve and doing it at a more premium defensive position at second base, yeah, he's the greatest player they've ever had. I've kind of been there with Altuve for a while now, basically based on all the postseason stuff. To me, that's where it matters the most. You know, when all the money's in the middle of the table, who's going to perform the best? That's been Altuve. The one thing I wanted to talk about with with the, the new look offense, I'm still concerned. Like, Abreu had a nice game today. But pitchers are pitching around Tucker every chance they get because why would you pitch to Tucker when Abreu's on deck? I mean, I know he had a good game. But he's hitting 230-something coming into the game. It's not there. So that's why I push so hard for somebody like McCormick to be in the lineup because Dusty's not going to put Brantley after Tucker and then have two lefties. At least he, he hasn't been willing to do that very often this year. He, he did for a little while having Jordan and, and Tucker next to each other, but they put Bregman in between them now going forward. So that's why I'd like to see Chaz go there and then maybe Brantley behind him. And then you really have pitchers worried where they're going to actually have to throw something to Kyle Tucker. There's no way in the world I would pitch to Tucker. And I knew that today with Scherzer. I was like, Tucker's not going to see anything here. And I expected a poor performance from Abreu. And he got high heat, couldn't handle it. And then Scherzer screwed up and, and hung a slider. If he would have kept attacking him with fastballs, probably would have been a very different outcome. So that's why I've been harping on Yiner and Chaz being in there to, to give him one more right-handed bat with some thump to, to give Tucker some chance to see some pitches. We know the log jam that's going to be at DH right now. I guess the only hope is going to be that Dusty uh, on on games when there's not a ground ball pitcher feels a little bit more comfortable to use Yiner uh, at, at first. You know, they've talked about giving Abreu some time, you know, to where he's not playing as much and it seems to work with his productivity. Uh, but we know this team's deep. Josh, I kind of share your frustration or concern about maybe this emboldening Dusty a little bit to go without both Chaz and Diaz in his lineup card. We'll have to see how it plays out. We saw news this week that the Astros have spoken with Milwaukee's David Stearns. We also know 
famously that the New York Mets are also very interested. We know Stephen Cohen's pockets are deeper than Jim Crane's are, or at least a little looser with his spending. The, the Mets need his expertise over the next couple of years as they try to retool to be competitive again. So I don't know that the Astros are going to win a bidding war. They're going to have to maybe sell uh, Stearns on being the more attractive landing spot. What are the implications of the Astros speaking with David Stearns? I find it very curious. Wild card, happy wife, happy life. David Stearns met the future and present. Mrs. Stearns, she's Houstonian. So unless it's a, a family choice to come down here, he grew up a Mets fan. Right? The Mets have won Diddley since 1986. You have Daddy Warbucks with the blank check. It would be kind of an odd choice to me, other than family considerations, for Stearns to pick the Astros over the Mets at this point. And frankly, you'd be cutting off Dana Brown at the knees. Right? Part of why Dana Brown took this job, number one, it's a Major League Baseball general manager's gig that he was offered, but that, hey, there is no president of baseball operations. I'm the owner's right-hand man. Well, you're not if David Stearns is brought in to be the president of baseball operations. Um, so, you know, unless Jim Crane just wants to kind of stick it to the Mets that you're not going to get this guy because I want him and he'd rather come back here. Um, you know, if you're Jim Crane, why do you want to pay multi-million dollars to an executive when you seem to be in pretty good organizational ship shape as it is? To me, it's the disaster of the Bagwell offseason and Jose Abreu, how bad that worked out. So many of the moves just did not pan out for them this year. I think he wants to have a little insurance in that in that case. And the other thing is Stearns would be going up to, to a baseball operations job with both teams because Billy Epler is still there as the GM for the Mets. You have Dana Brown as the GM in Houston. So either way, he'd be in a position kind of above those guys, more of a, you know, a true front office, you know, type of role. So I could understand why both teams would be interested, but they both have GMs in place. But I'd rather go to the team that keeps going to the the playoffs and ALCS and the World Series every year. To and he was here before, so to come kind of come full circle and then be a part of keeping this dynasty together and stretching it out like that would be very appealing to me. Of course, the money in New York and being from there, I get all that. But I understand why he'd have interest in the Astros, and we know we've heard this stuff about Crane having interest in him for quite some time now, and for them to already have been in contact reportedly with him. Because it's said that after the trade deadline, he was allowed to start talking to other teams. Remember before this year, when we heard these rumors, he said, oh, I'm, I'm maybe tired of doing this grind and maybe I want to spend some more time with my family. Well, recently, all the reports are that he feels re-energized having a smaller role this past year and he's looking to get back in it. So I don't know what's going to happen. None of us do, but I would love for him to come back here to the Astros and I think Dana Brown, there's nothing wrong with having another great baseball guy to, to bounce ideas off of. I, I don't see the, the downside there. The Astros need as many big brains as possible right now because they've got a thin farm system. They've got to figure out what, you know, how to re-sign some of these guys that are going to be up in a couple of years, or if not re-signing them, how do you replace them? They've got some big decisions that are looming for them. I just wonder, do you guys think there's any sort of it's only it's been less than a year with Dana Brown at the helm any odd possibility that maybe this is sort of implication on what Jim Crane thinks of Dana Brown in the GM position or do you think he just I want as many smart people as possible in the organization and Stearns knows our organization I will cite the alternate golden rule 
You have the most gold. You make the rules. James Click didn't do anything to deserve to get shoved out of the job. But if you don't get along with your boss or your boss gets a wild hair to want to go in another direction, well, you're going to be out. Remember, James Click got Yiner Diaz for Miles Straw and include Phil Maton in there as well and the other bullpen work uh, that he did. Um, Dana Brown, I think, would be really bummed out if David Stearns was brought in above him. But, hey, it's a big world. You got a long-term contract, so you can look for another job or continue to collect your money and work with your new immediate superior. Uh, but this is a Jim Crane-level decision, just as if the Astros are going to try to sign Altuve for life or consider extending Bregman this offseason before both can become free agents after 2024. Right? You'll consult with whoever is in your baseball cabinet, your brain trust, but those are macro-level Jim Crane decisions. So who he wants to talk with, we just hope that this offseason, the most persuasive voices are not Reggie Jackson and Jeff Bagwell. And remember, exactly. that struggle of an offseason, Dana Brown wasn't hired yet. Right? Dana Brown has not had an offseason yet as the general manager. That's true. And I think it's a deal where the Montero contract, you're kind of stuck with that for a while. The Abreu contract, you're stuck with that for a while. So they saw Dana Brown as being really good at scouting, and maybe that is the role they thought would be good for him to go along with Stearns here, to to come draft, you know, build up this pipeline, get us some good young players in here. And then Stearns was the assistant GM before. So he's seen the way Jeff Luno has, has built teams, and he knows that kind of stuff. So maybe he's just trying to recapture some of that magic from back in the day with Jeff Luno. And, and Dana Brown, at, at the end of the day, you're still the GM. You're still going to be running the drafts. I understand it's always risky when somebody else comes in, but – if you're Jim Crane, to Charlie's point, it's my team. If I think this is the best thing for the team, you're under contract. You can't just go work for another baseball team, Dana Brown. You, you work for us. So I, I don't have a problem with it. And that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold said so. That's going to be it for another episode of Stone Cold Strohs. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five-star rating wherever you get your podcast. Charlie, Josh, and I will catch you next week. But you don't have to wait that long to get your Houston sports fix because all you have to do is subscribe to Sports Over Houston on YouTube. John Granado, Lance Zerline, Josh Jordan have you covered there. And remember, if you're driving around in Houston, it's ESP 97.5, 92.5 on the FM dial. Thanks to Jack Brain for producing late tonight. And thanks for everyone for listening. And until next time, go Strohs.